welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Dr. Hatfield, so open up a Bible with me, if that's all right, to the book of John, chapter 6, verse 25. John 6, 25. So we are continuing in our series on the book of John, and we're saying, just come and see. This book has an incredible capacity to introduce people to Jesus, His truth, His grace, His beauty, who He is, but also reintroduce Christians to Jesus. Just be captivated again, not just religion, but understand that this man is the most captivating human being to ever live on this earth, and we're just inviting people to come and see who He is. So today, we are in John 6, and it's this long passage, but we are deciding not to look at the obvious things. There's the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on water, but we're going to skip that because we can't do all of it. Otherwise, we'd be preaching for a year and a half through the book of John, which I would love, but maybe you would not love that yet. Um, And so we're going to instead choose to focus on after this moment, Jesus has fed the 5,000, He's gone over the water in this boat eventually, and He comes to the synagogue and he's teaching. And the people now are astounded by what he's done with this multiplication of the food. They engage him, and there's a theme here that I want us just to unpack today and that I'm trusting is going to speak to your heart. So read with me. It's a long passage. Let's stick together. John 6, 25, it says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. Now, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that He has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and just as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, just for a quick minute here, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue over this Passover time. And for the Jewish people for centuries, this is a moment where they are thinking, they're reading the scriptures, they're praying, and they are reliving this experience of God saving this nation of Israel from Egypt, taking them into the desert. And one of the ways that he was caring for them, that he was teaching them dependence, was he would care for them with this bread that would just arrive miraculously. And now they're saying, listen, in this time that we're thinking about this, what what is it that you are going to do to show us who God is? And so he says the following, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread. And he said this, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me who will ever be hungry again, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So you can skip to verse 48 just to continue this theme. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate of it, but they still died. But... I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give you 
is the word for my flesh. And at that, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. He's being provocative here. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manner your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And he said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, I can still remember, even though it's already 12, 13 years ago now, I was standing uh, next to a pool table with a bunch of friends as a first-year student, and I got this phone call. Someone handed me the cell phone. It was my parents. And I'll never forget just literally having my guts just turn to goo. And I just had this moment of existential dread as I stood there and I was hearing words like bankruptcy and sequestration and fraud and lawsuits and jail time. You see, a part of my story was that my parents for decades had had this business, one of the biggest contracting businesses in all of the free state, and it followed me and my family and our surname almost. It was this thing of success, of money, of status, and I found my identity in it, 100%. (laughs) And this day, this one thing that I thought that would never shift in my life, I would always be part of this kind of silver spoon in my mouth, work life, I would just enter into that and things would be smooth in an instant, In the 2008 recession, everything just got lost. In a moment, this one thing that I had put my hope in was gone. The thing that I had found my identity in, it was gone. Proverbs 18.14, I think, described what I experienced, maybe what you're experiencing in this season of your life. It says, a person's spirit can endure sickness even, but who can survive a broken spirit? Who survives that? What is he saying? A broken spirit is when those two words have entered your heart and your mind. No hope. No hope. You see, us, we can survive three weeks without food, you know, three days without water, but without hope, the human heart shrivels up and dies. And whether it's uh, on a battlefield somewhere, whether it's in a waiting room in the hospital, or whether it's in that dark place that you go to during the week as you get home and you feel, man, my life has no purpose. It's in those moments where we say, I have no hope. And the reality is we can bear that doctor's frightful diagnosis when there's hope for a cure, isn't it? And we can endure the separation from a loved one if there's hope for a reunion. But if there's no hope, man, we just break apart. So what's the answer for you if you're in that place? in your life? What, what, is, what is our secular world? What's the resources that our secular world gives to us to say, this is how you handle the brokenness of life? Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist and evolutionary biologist, he says this in his book, The Blind Watchmaker. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and others are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. This is the answer. We are just accidents coming from nothing, going to nothing, 
And whether you got lucky or you got hurt, it's just blind, pitiless indifference. And it's into this that you and I often experience that I think Jesus comes and he makes an audacious statement. He's not yet to teach good morals or just psych us up emotionally. He comes to rattle the cages of the human heart. And he says this, I have eternal life. This is what I come to bring, eternal life. As he often does, Jesus says, life is found in me. But in this moment, knowing that the background of where the people, the Jewish people are at, he uses a very specific picture. And every time in the Gospels, he speaks about this life that is in him. He uses a different picture because he's trying to give us different facets of what this eternal life, this God life is all about. And so in this instance, he says, I'm going to maybe in our context, it's not as relevant, but for them, man, this was a striking image. He says, I want to tell you that this, this life, it's like bread. It's like bread. It's like something that you have to take inside you. It has to become part of who you are. It has to be broken down into you. It has to explode into energy and transform you from the inside out. He says, I have the kind of life that has to become part of who you are. Now, this is just a basic kind of biological process, isn't it? We all know this. This thing is broken down and it gives energy. And and maybe that's a bit abstract for us, but we all know the mechanical version of this. So, you know, how does a car, how does it process or digest fuel? It doesn't do that, does it? If the fuel just kind of sits in its tank, nothing happens. But if it's taken up into the system of the car, if it explodes in the engine of the car, there's this energy that's released and movement, energy, motion happens. Jesus says, I don't know what your picture of Christianity is. I don't know if your, if your picture of God is the strict disciplinarian and you just gritting your teeth trying to get through life as a good person. But he says, I want to challenge you because my view of the kingdom, my view of God is a view of something that enters into your life. It explodes with energy and potential and it transforms everything in you and animates everything from you. He says, is this the kind of life that you have? Because that's the invitation. And I ask you, this kind of supernatural, this heavenly-like life that Jesus talks about, does that describe your life? Does that describe your heart, your soul, the depth of who you are, the deep recesses of life? When you're looking in the mirror, does it describe who you are? This kind of surging, exploding, breaking through the old habits and old ways kind of life that transforms you, challenges you, encourages you, that re-identifies you. Is that what you have in your life? Because here's the invitation. Jesus says, this is what Christianity is. This is what it is. This is what I'm offering. I am the bread of heaven. Come and see. So let's just ask one or two basic questions of this, not rocket science today, but let's just ask firstly, what is the spread of heaven? This is not a very obvious picture that he's using. So let's just ask that question. What is it? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now in English, we only have one word and we use it in multiple ways, life, uh, whatever it is. And in their context, Jesus spoke Aramaic, but we have this translation in Greek. And in Greek, they had two different words for life that they could use. The one is bios, and the other one is zoe. So bios speaks about physical life, biological life, biology. But zoe is this other word for life. And it doesn't speak about the instance of life, but it speaks of a quality of life. 
There's a quality of life that Jesus is referring to you. He's not saying bios. He's saying there's a quality of life that I bring. Now, let me give you a simple example. Last year, December, we had the privilege of going to the beach and just spending a bit of time there. And my son, we've got three kids, our middle one, he's seven, and he is a water-based animal. So he's in the water the whole day, and he becomes like a piece of bacon by the end of our time there. And every now and then, with this massive smile on his face, you know, other people are trying to stay away from the sand, and they're trying to read a book and stuff like that. He runs, like with all the water on his body, he runs out every couple of hours, basically, from the water. And instead of lying on a towel like a sane person would do, he goes and he dives right into the sand on purpose, and he rolls around in the sand until his hair and his face and everything is covered in sand, and then he basically lies on the beach like this, but the sun would bake him. And one of these moments, last year, as he does that, I'm just looking at him like, where did we find this child and he's lying there, and as he's, you know, ready, he's sanded up, and he's baking. He just turns to me, and he says, now this is living. <laughs> Don't you love that? A seven-year-old, it's like all these worries that these adults have, friends, this is living. Now, if I said to him, I don't understand what you're saying. Were you not breathing like uh, half an hour ago? Did you, were your lungs not working? Were you dead? Because he's saying, this is living. And of course, he would say, no, Dad. What I'm saying is, yes, my lungs were pumping. I was alive. I was existing. But now I'm living. And he says, there's a massive difference between existing and living. And most people think that religion is this crutch so that you would have a hope for an eternal existence. I just want to exist forever and not face death. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not speaking about existing forever. I'm speaking about a quality, Zoe life that enters into you. That you would not exist forever, you would live forever. How many times have we seen this? Science fiction would, in books and movies, they would have this trope, basically. Same thing over and over again. Of some planet or people or scientists, they develop this method of having people live basically forever. People living for thousands of years, and what always happens in those stories, they are absolutely, horridly depressed. They're so, you know, broken in themselves, even though they are existing. So there's a guy called Ray Kurzweil. He's a futurist in the technology space, and he predicts that in the next hundred years, we're going to have nanotechnology that, that these nanobots will live in your bloodstream and they will pick up issues of you know, physical health and they will actually come and repair the degeneration as it's happening. And he says he thinks that will allow human beings to live up to a thousand years. Imagine that, you live for a thousand years. Where will the petrol price be by that time? I have no idea. But here's my question. When we live for a thousand years, do you think that the human heart will finally be at rest? When I can live, when I can exist long enough, will I be happy? I think we are going to be messed up. Because we will still not have, yes, we will exist forever. But will we have life? That's what Jesus is asking. He says, yes, bios, you can live, that's fine. But are you living? That's my question. Eternal existence, friends, that's not what we're after in Christianity. Jesus says, I want to show you what makes life worth living. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, I am the bread of heaven. I bring you a life, a Zoe life. It's a quality of life. It's a radical life. It's an ultimate life. 
But then Jesus goes further and he, he, he shocks his audience even further. And he says, you know what? Maybe you don't agree with me this morning. Maybe religion's not for you. But can I tell you that every single person here, me included, every person in our city this morning, every one of us, we are already pursuing some kind of Zoe in our lives. Every person. You woke up every day this week pursuing some kind of Zoe at the center of your life. He says, existence is not enough, friends. The human heart cries out for purpose and meaning in Zoe. So he says here in verse 27, you can underline it. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. He says, we need something radical, something explosive in the middle of our souls and our hearts. And each of us, we have a vision. If I asked you, what's your vision of what life is? If you go down the magazine racks, people still read magazines, they're in Woolies. Then you, you will see what? On the cover of every magazine, beauty magazine, gun magazine, you know, hunting magazine, whatever it is, home magazine, what are you seeing on the cover? It's a picture of Zoe. <laughs> this is living. And for a seven-year-old, you know what living is? It's lying on the beach with sand covering you, baking until you are baking. But my question is, what about you? What's your Zoe? What's your picture? What's your vision for life that drives you, that you are making a beeline with your emotions, with your money, with your career, with your hopes, with your relationships? You are making a beeline for something. Jesus says we need it. You can't go without it. No one can just exist. We all are looking to live. And the Bible constantly says this. Jesus says this. Unless that bread, that Zoe that you are running after, he says, you don't have to agree with him, but he says, unless that bread is me, unless that bread is the good news of God, unless it's the gospel, unless it's the spirit in you, unless it's the explosive power of the kingdom through you, he says, that bread that you are pursuing, it will become stale. It will disappoint you. It will leave you empty. That's what he says. And the Bible constantly talks about these false Zoes, these replacement Zoes that we're all running after, these false versions of true life. Let me give you one example, maybe controversial, but hear my heart with this, because I think we miss the point when we speak about these things in church. What about alcohol as Zoe in our lives? Now, see awkward shuffling of a chair right there. Now, when you are drinking alcohol because it's appetizing, and you will find nothing in the Bible against that, friends. If you do that, that's great. It's fine. The Bible has nothing to say about that. Jesus is the Lord of the feast who turns water into wine. But when that becomes not appetizing, but it becomes the Zoe of my life, you know what that looks like? Let me describe it for us. Many of us know this well. When I'm drinking, not because it's appetizing, but I drink to get boldness. I drink to get courage, to have joy, to loosen up, to feel warm, to lose my, my self-conscience, get rid of that, to be able to talk to people in, in the true fashion of who I am, to somehow deal with the meaninglessness of my life in the evenings when I get home. You know what's happened with this thing that used to be a good thing? It's become a God thing. It's become a Zoe thing. And you can do that with anything. Good things. Friend, is alcohol a bad thing? No, it's a great thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> but when it becomes a Zoe thing, it destroys you. And you can take all the other Bs, as Jason said this morning. It's not just bottles. What about businesses and beds and bank balances? 
But what about when I, when I run after those things and I try and make them? Not just good things, because guess what? Sex is a good thing. Relationships are a good thing. Alcohol is a good thing. Your work is a good thing. Vocation is a good thing. But when those things become the Zoe thing of my life, Jesus says, you will. When you try and get from that thing which you can only get from me, warmness, boldness, hope, courage, identity, he says, you are going to be left so tired. Because if your drug is business, if your drug is money, if your drug is having the right kind of body, if your drug is trying to prove your parents wrong, that will never actually be enough. The, the horizon will always recede. Ask any drug addict. Listen to that story when you can. Jillian's story, it's not this one last time and it was done. It's always the next one and the next one and the next one. And when my body is my drug, is my Zoe, when your bank balance is your Zoe, when that house that I sow, that neighborhood that I just, if I can just live there, that's your Zoe. He says, you will be so tired. It will exhaust you, in fact. Why? Because it will never arrive. You'll always need more. You'll always need a deeper hit, a, a more profound experience, a more beautiful person, a better paying job. When good things become God things, Zoe things, we are left exhausted. And can we just agree, this is not great to say, but we, on top of that, on top of the fact that these things that are so good can ruin us, we end up ruining those things. How many marriages have been ruined because partners thought, you will complete me? How many business opportunities got ruined because this thing will give me identity? How many careers got run into the ground because this will show the people around me that I am who I'm supposed to be. How many things, that car that you love, that you sacrificed for, you despise that car when you see it in your garage because it did not deliver what you thought it would. Not only are we ruined by those things, but we ruin those things. And it's not because they are bad things. These are good things, but they're not God things. They're not Zoe things. So I love C.S. Lewis and the weight of glory. He says it like this. He says, it seems that our Lord, God, he doesn't find our desires too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too easily pleased. We fool around with good things when a Zoe thing is offered to us. And how many times have we said it when the good things start orbiting around the Zoe thing? It all makes sense. How beautiful is a career in submission to God? How beautiful is a spouse and a marriage in submission to who God is? How beautiful are the, the blessing of finances when God is at the center of my life? But how exhausted and broken do I become when those things are the center of my life? life. You see, the gospel, Jesus, in his good news, he doesn't say to us, here's something that you can use to escape reality, because that's what these good things do. Come to me and escape from your reality. Escape into a bottle. Escape into a bed. Escape into this next business so that you won't have to face the realities of your situation. But Jesus says, I don't want you to escape with the crutch of religion for weak people. No, he says, my good news comes to confront you with life as it actually is. I want to come and show you sobered up life to the full. A Christian, you think, is someone who, who's got the crutch of hope of, of better things in the future, just like positive thinking. That's Christianity. No, no, no. 
Jesus says a Christian is someone who always has the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God whispering this into their ear. Hey, here are the facts. There is a great God who is the creator of all things, and He has become a person. He has stepped into the situation of your world, into this earth, and He has died in love for you. He's taken away the judgments against you, the lies against your soul, your failures, your sins. They've all been paid for. Now, if you ask His forgiveness, if you transfer your trust from your Zohes of life to who He is, if you make Him your life, He will come and He will enfold you in His light and His power. Your conscience will be cleared forever, and He will adopt you into your family. And as that bread becomes part of who you are, as it starts to explode, as the Spirit of God, given without measure, is in you, what now begins to happen, now I have a new self-image, His image. I have a new community of people who are all part of the adopted. I now have a new power that's put into my life, a new nature that just begins to unfold as to who I truly am. I'm turned not into arrogant and self-sufficient, but into beautiful persons of character. I have a sure hope and an absolute anchor, even in the midst of suffering. Christians aren't the people who miss the, the difficulties of life. They are the people who go through them with something even greater holding on to them. Christians are not cancer-free people. They are in the cancer with something greater than the cancer holding on to them. And I know that one day I'm going to be received into the perfect presence of a new creation when my life is over. So I'm not saying to myself, man, let me escape into a bottle, into a business, into a bed. I'm saying let me face reality as it is with him inside me. I choose that. I don't choose pitiless indifference, friends. I choose that. Let me give an example of that. When, when, when you find that, or let me rather say when it finds you, <laughs> everything changes. Because something so valuable, so profound has taken hold of everything in your life. So have you heard of Banksy, the artist? He does the kind of street arts and he's a bit of a social activist and a troublemaker in general. And once in 2014, he makes these priceless works of art. And in 2014 in, in Central Park in New York, he set up a little stall in between all these other vendors, very unassuming. And he put out some of his own art there. And he was selling it for about 850 rand, if you do the conversion, per item. But all throughout the day, no one bought it because it's so abstract. It's not necessarily, like, nice looking. And by midday, this one man, I guess, feeling sorry for him, like, this dude's not selling anything. He purchases two items, 850 each. And just as Banksy had planned, in a week or so, he sends this man in the mail. He sends him the proof of the, the evidence of the, the genuineness of these works of art, and each of them become worth two million rand. Just imagine that. How's that for return on investment? Huh? I don't know much about the economy, but I'm telling you that's good. You put 850 in, you get two million out. Now, do you think that guy, when he, when he read that and he realized this is real, this just happened, <laughs> this is Banksy being Banksy, making a point, do you think he took those things and just like, anyway, whatever, let's go on with life? No, nothing is ever going to be the same again. I need to hold these things. I, you know, what? Two, I've got four million rand. It's crazy. Jesus says, as incredible, who here today would say, man, that would be life-changing money? 
Jesus says, guess what? Even that eventually will disappoint you. Even that eventually will run dry. Maybe not financially, emotionally. Oh, yes. Just yesterday, listening to one of the, the greatest investors of the last 30 years, and he says, I know. <laughs> I don't have enough fingers to count the billionaires in my circles that want to commit suicide. He says, they have everything that you ever want. All of us sitting here, if I could just have that. He says, they have it and they have nothing. Jesus says, when you discover, when it discovers you, that Zohe life, it's not about existing forever. He says, it's this bread that comes into your life. And when you discover it, when it discovers you, nothing can ever be the same again. You don't say, oh, well, let me just go on with life. Now, no, life begins now. Now, two last questions really quickly. Where is this bread of heaven found then? If this is what it is, where do we find it? And Jesus makes such a radical statement, radical. He says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to, what, the system, the religion, the rules? He says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who ever believes in me will be thirsty again. And then he makes a startling statement. Verse 33, he says, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is the point where a Muslim and a Buddhist would respectfully say, I, I can't do this. God is too big, too distant. He's too apathetic for this. But Christianity says, no, we have a God who came to this earth and cried and laughed and hurt. He even, he even shouted out in pain at one stage, we have the most personal of religions in existence. He says, this God, this Zoe life, yes, it is, it is a life, but it's not some abstract thing. It's not some experience. It's not something you go and obey. It is a person. Zoe life is not a thing. It's a he. It's a person. And I want to ask you, is your, is your religion personal? And you say, Joe, of course, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a religious person, you say, of course it's personal. Because I believe a set of things I go to church and I say my prayers. But I think Jesus would say to us, friend, there's a massive difference between saying your prayers and praying. He's saying, you know what? How often does it happen that the, the, the relationships in our lives become not relational but transactional? And he says, you know what? Your religion cannot be personal. It can be all transactional with God. God, I'm doing my part. Where's the blessing here that you spoke of? Where's the life that you promised? I say my prayers. I go to church. But he's saying, you guess what? It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home or if you are religious or pious or you are moral. He says, if your, if your Zoe is transactional, you have not experienced God yet. You haven't experienced Jesus how many marriages, friends, have been ruined? And I say this as someone, man, Shay and I, we've been married now for 13 years. We've gone through it all together, and we will go through it all again together. And many more things. I see the other people are like, you know nothing, Joe, nothing. But how many marriages have been ruined because what was once relational and sweet has become transactional in business life? Manalisi finally got me onto This Is Us. Man, that show is wrecking me, guys. But just one of these episodes, and I think the second season, and they have this, this year-end function, business function, and one of the main characters, one of, his, one of his colleagues, he finds him as he's just trying to get air outside, and he sees this guy standing 
They're in this high-rise building, and this man is about to commit suicide. He's already put his note out. He's got his, his favorite watch that he's put left there for his kids. And this is crazy moment. He's trying to talk this guy down from what's about to happen. And you know what he says? He says, I'm broken because I cheated on my wife, and I've lost the respect and the, the, the affection of my adult kids. And as he's crying, he says, you know what happened? It wasn't overnight. It was this long process of my wife and I, we, we used to love each other. There was sweetness. It was personal. And then we just started raising kids and we ran business and we, we made the plans and we planned the holidays and everything. And he says, you know what? You don't sleep with your business partner anymore. And this man is broken. What was once so personal has become transactional and businesslike. And my question just to us, Jesus asks us this. What about your relationship with God? What about your relationship to this God? Is it personal? Because every person, true Christian that I know, would say that before I was converted by this Jesus, I either had no relationship with God or a transactional relationship with God. But I got saved either from no relationship or transactional relationship to personal relationship. And you know what that looks like? And I just ask us, man, are you in this place where it's personal? Do you find that God is just constantly just teaching you new things? Can you tell me something that he's just been teaching you over the last month? In hard times, does he give you peace? Do you sense his love just poured into your heart when you feel so broken? Do you get together with him just to get together with him? Do you find that he just reaffirms his love for you constantly and you just reaffirm your love for him? Are you willing to rearrange your life for him because he rearranged himself for you? See, that's personal. Or is my faith this expectation that life must go my way? It's an emotional experience on a Sunday. It's a set of rules. Or is it a person? Because Jesus says, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven who gives himself for the world, he says. So how do I receive it then? How do I receive this bread? And strikingly, Jesus doesn't just say that he's a person, but he says this, he is a broken person. He's a broken person. He says, the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is what? It's my flesh. He says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, and it was meant to be as shocking to them as it is to us. He says, I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. You see, if Jesus was just a moral teacher and a good man, man, he's a failure. <laughs> because can I just speak personally? When I see Jesus as a good example, it crushes me. The more I get to know him and I see his character, it, it's of no help to me. He condemns me by his perfection. If he's just a good teacher, it does not help me because I know who I am. Maybe you don't know me, but I know me. As an example, he is of no use to me. Think of bread, friends. If bread is just there and it's beauty, untouched, it's of no use to you. You can sniff it and maybe lick it, but it has to be broken for you to take it into who you are. Jesus says, if you just look at me as an example, you will find no hope. You will find no life. You will find nothing. But if you see that I'm not just the bread of God, I'm the broken bread of God. I'm not just the person in perfection to be followed, 
I've come to do something to reverse everything done to you. I've come to be broken so that you could be made whole. I did not simply come and leave an example. I came to do a finished work. This is the person that we believe in. And so just in closing, the disciples ask him then, man, so what can we do? Who can perform the works of God? Okay, Joe, I'll do it today. I'll commit. I'll be better. I'll walk out of here and never do that again. I'll never look at pornography again. I'll never step into that bed again. I'll never run after money again. I will do it. Tell me what I need to do. And what does Jesus say? This is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he sent. Get this, friends. This is the paradox. Jesus says the only one who can receive Jesus is the one who knows he cannot achieve it, is the one who knows he cannot earn it. The one who can receive him is the one who knows I cannot do this. I can only put my faith in who he is and what he's done and what he represents. I can only receive the finished work of Jesus. He says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, who takes this into himself. He says, if I say to Jesus today, Lord, I'm hurting, so just make me feel better. It's no good. If I say to him, Lord, I'm sad, just make me happy. It's no good. But if I say to him, God, I know that I'm a rebel. I've tried to run my life and I've run it into the ground. But I recognize that you were broken where I would have been broken. That your stripes now heal me. That your wholeness becomes my wholeness. That as the bread was broken for me, I can become and receive and live from the Zoe of God. When the disciples, the people say, this is a hard teaching, man. This is tough. We didn't read that part, but some of them, it just says, the people left Jesus at this point. Some of them just said, I'm out. I can't do this. And Jesus asked some of his disciples, and do you want to go as well? And what does Peter say in his wisdom in this moment? Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of life. That's the moment. I said, Jesus, I have no more beds and bottles and businesses to go to. You have the words of life. Will you be my Zoe, my center, my everything? I don't want to serve money and know God. I want to know God and make my money serve God. Come and see, friends. Just come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning. And I know, God, that your spirit has just been doing such a fine work in people's hearts this morning. Especially some young men sitting here. God, I know that you have been dissecting some of the the biggest hurt and pain in their lives. And like a skillful surgeon, God, you have come today and said, I don't condemn you. I come to rescue you. I pray today, God, that no one would leave this place with religion or emotion, but they would leave having taken the Zoe life into who they are. God, will you come and chase every, every single fake, false, substitute Zoe from our hearts? And will you become the center of who we are? Jesus, we want to know you. We want to worship you. We want to follow you. In your name we pray.